0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. Our guest today is Stuart Pierce, a legendary master of voice with a career spanning four decades. He grew up in Buckingham Palace and became a successful actor before turning to teaching. He has trained some of the most high-profile figures in politics, business, and acting, like Margaret Thatcher, Princess Diana, Vanessa Redgrave, Anita Roddick, Simon Callow, I could go on. Stewart has had a parallel career as a sound healer and an angel medium. His publications include The Alchemy of Voice, The Heart's Note, The Angels of Atlantis, both book and oracle cards. And the angel heart sigils oracle. Welcome, Stuart. I'm so excited to be learning more about this.
1: Well, bless you. <laughs> I was just having a secret chuckle of being being brought up in Buckingham Palace.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just, um, it's a long time ago. However, <laughs> so it's lovely to be on your program, and thank you. What an honour! What an honour! What an honour to be able to share these sound waves with you.
0: Oh, it's it's our delight. So. How did you get from there to here? Um, pick any, any trajectory you wish to explore. I mean, the, the, the sort of common theme is the power of sound and the human voice. Let's yeah. focus on that.
1: Well, the common theme is sound. And then, of course, the beauty of the human voice. And, and I, I speak specifically about the fact that I'm a speaker, not a singer. Um, so there's a slight differential between the value of what a voice coach, coach is in Europe and how a voice coach is referred to in the United States of America. Because a voice coach in the United States of America means that I, I, I coach people with their singing voices, but I'm a speaking, speaking coach voice. Um, <clears throat> so the core really goes back to this extraordinary experience that I had when I was a child of not being able to... Um, not being able to really register sound as clearly as possible, because I was cl- caught up, or at least in the way that I w- was able to perceive it later in life, because I was caught up by synesthesia, which meant that I had a crossover of the senses. So I saw sound. So the earliest memory that I had of being almost tranquilized, or perhaps a better word is enchanted by sound, was through perceiving my mother's voice, but I didn't hear it. I actually saw it. So I was carried on these extraordinary waves of energy that were multicolored. Indeed, you know, the way that Eben Alexander speaks in his book about, his book, Proof of Heaven, about going into heaven, I have to say that there was a great kinship when I read his book uh, with what I experienced and what I'm now talking about. So I was carried away by this extraordinary potential of, of, of force, that was brought about by the sound of my mother and particularly the sound of her humming and then using the sort of soft caressing tones mm. that a mother does over a child that I suppose I was about three or four years of age and seemingly disturbed as I often was as a child um, by the bewildering nature of being, of receiving a sensory overload.
2: Mm.
1: So that's how it all started and then as I grew I became aware of the power of sound. I could not read until I was about 10, 11, 12 um, and possibly later um, with any fluency. And so I became aware of still traveling on these currents of force, these great energies of sound that were color and became geometric shapes as well as I began to see a way of interpreting somebody's behavioral state by the sound that they were actually making. And then that was multi-layered by the quality of, of people's voices. And that, you know, high voices registered certain personalities, low voices registered other personalities. But the thing that really pivoted my interest was the use of the word, not in terms of being able to read the word or see the word as a code, but actually by the sonic nature of it, because I was just fascinated by words. So, for example, I can remember when I discovered the word insignificant and I was probably six or seven years of age, and every single sentence was full of this word because I thought it was one of the most beautiful words that I'd actually ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that was just purely and simply in seeing the patterns that were being created by the nature of the voice. Then it matured and matured and matured, and of course, um, you know, then it was a question of, well, what can I do? And the only thing that I seemed to be able to do with any approbation from other individuals was that I was very good at telling stories. And so I became an actor and was pretty good at acting. So I just continued and continued and continued. And that enabled me to really move into the experience of being able to specialize with the human voice. Because as soon as one starts working on somebody's voice because they wish help, automatically we move into a very sacred communion between oneself and, or between myself as the coach and the individual, because our voices are at the very core of our beings something that we take completely for granted. And so in ancient society, our voices were really a way of being able to touch into the very core of what the individual is about in terms of their soul. How's that for an answer?
0: That's a good start. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was reminded of two things as you were speaking. One <clears throat> is my master's thesis in psychology was actually on the subject of synesthesia.
2: hmm
0: and the, the interplay or, or almost the unified field theory has always uh, intrigued me. The where um, light vibration and sound vibration merge and how they interplay. And this is something that you actually grew up experiencing viscerally. How fascinating. Mm. Mm.
1: Yes, it was very kinesthetic because although I saw sound It penetrated my my energy field, obviously, but then moved very deep into the whole cellular council of my being, as I now interpret it. So, I was actually able to feel the nature of what the unified field of resonance is all about, what Rupert Rupert Sheldrake calls the morphogenetic field, and how there is infinite communication in this local and non-local energy process. One of the key things that I I became aware of as I began training actors and then public speakers was the ability of sound waves to penetrate the body of an audience and to create certain responses from a behavioral point of view. So that on a very simplistic level, certain sounds or certain energies being produced by the voice, depending on the intention, of course, that was being spoken, could excite or indeed could soothe. Uh, And that was a whole field of research that I moved into as a voice coach and then developed flexibility skills that I was actually able to communicate to actors, which eventually, you know, through 30 years' worth of work, led me to, or 25 years of work, led me to the whole substance of being at Shakespeare's Globe Theatre, which was an open-air theatre, but dealing with a a geometric form that was a very ancient principle built built in the round and um, fulfilling a certain very specific acoustic, which was about discovering the harmony of the individual's note and how the harmony of the individual's note, that we each have a note, we each have a signature sound, fitted into the substance of the sacred geometry. You know, Goethe said that all architecture is frozen music. It's a way of being able to extrapolate the idea I'm sharing. Mm -hmm. But all all, all the way along the line, you know, there was this parallel reality that was developing for me, which was switching back on to the things that I experienced as a young child, where, of course, I've just talked about seeing sound, but at the same time, I saw geometric forms and other beings within the floating currency of the way that the sound moved as a vision for me. Um, So I was able to see spirit, I was able to see elemental, I was able to see um, ghosts, etc., etc., or force fields around certain buildings or certain... Um, animals or indeed the plant kingdom. Hmm. Uh, That that was interrupted by education because I realized as I spoke about these things that nobody really understood what I was talking about. Um, And so to close down from that, my father was was quite forceful with the way he closed (laughs) me down. So I literally switched off at around nine years of age. And when I started working with sound professionally, both as an actor and then subsequently as a voice coach, that level of psyche switched back on. So I was actually able to see within the power of sound, this field that you and I have just been talking about, that I could actually, I was able to once more see spirit and move into some very transcendental functions of human consciousness, which have enabled me to move forward and help people as a sound healer in the way that I have done over the last 30-odd years. And specifically in 87, when I saw the angels who came to me, not as human beings with wings, but came to me as orbs, And maybe that's a story I can reveal in a moment. So it sort of gives the basic landscape of the possibilities and then the probabilities of how powerful sound is, which we've sort of unremembered. I I don't think we've forgotten because I find myself being asked to speak about these things all over the world. And people automatically tune in with great reverence and with great interest. So within that space, it seems to me that there's something very sacred about the way that we feel about sound, the way that we think about sound. And when you have somebody, I suppose, like myself speaking about it, who's, who is just so interested um, and passionate about the whole substance of the way that sound functions and the way that the human voice can communicate through thought and feeling using sound, a whole transcendent possibility of meaning that people switch on immediately and start exploring and playing with their voices in a very meaningful way.
0: Well, so, I, yeah, think it's sound, no, I think it's it, no it, coincidence that sound has always been a part of religious um, observance, religious ceremony, chanting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Well, I mean, whichever, wherever we go in whatever religion, there's always a reference to sound in the way that we know it from the Judeo-Christian principle of... In the beginning, in the beginning was, you know, the word. was the word, and the word was made flesh. I believe that that originally was written as, in the beginning was sound. Now, I, I received that piece of information from a very remarkable man who, alas, is now dead, whom I met many, many years ago, who was one of the world's leading Aramaic scholars, who had been given privilege of readership of the Vatican Library, because he was one of the world's leading Aramaic scholars. And there are many of the Dead Sea scrolls from the Qumran Caves, which were the, the, the Essene community around the, the Dead Sea, um, housed within the Vatican Library. And one day, during his, I think, 10-year research, he came upon a scroll that said, in the beginning was sound, and the sound was made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. The sound, you see, became the logos. The Logos is a Greek word meaning the intelligibility of the sound. So that's what the word is. Um, But at the same time, of course, we read at the beginning of Genesis, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Then we move into Hinduism and Buddhism or into Shintoism, and there is the use of the, the sound Om, the Prima Mobile, which was the sound of the defining principle of the universe, of the great Brahman himself, or herself indeed. Yes, so sound has always played a very powerful part within the five great faiths, but I, I feel that sound goes beyond this organization of ideas within the great faith. It goes into something which is extremely instinctual, very primitive, and if you like, quite primeval, um, because we all know, for example, when we're in pain, the best thing to do is to start making sound, and often the, 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 the pain is alleviated by the quality of the sound that we make.
0: hmm or the quality of the sound that a mother makes in soothing her child.
1: Yes, conversely, yes. I was just thinking of something very atavistic. You know, well, I suppose you know, soothing a child is quite atavistic. Certainly, bringing, bringing forth a child <laughs> into the world is quite, you know, is quite basic. Because no, the the body, primeval grunt. The body yeah. takes uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, um, you know, just on that subject, I've, um, I've been approached by three clients of mine who were pregnant mamas who asked me if I could find the signature note of their child, their unborn child, and when we started playing with the resonance of the sound, the child was quickened within their womb. You know, the child just moved within the amniotic fluid. And so they, each, each one of these wonderful women asked me if I would be present at the birthing to sound the notes um, as the head was moving fr- you know, through the f- mm-hmm. cervix, which I did. And I'm telling you, the cervix dilated, and the child came winging out, <laughs> <laughs> being welcomed into the world. So I believe that in primitive communities, so-called primitive communities, I, I use that term not pejoratively, but as a distinction with through so-called civilized communities, that men and women use sound in very, very specific ways, in a very primitive way, to connect not just with what it is to be an Earth being, but also in very transcendent ways to connect with the power of the all that is.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Heart's Note, and you have a book by that name. Tell us about that.
1: Well, one of the intriguing things for me is, a, 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 is this exponent of sound, is moving around the world and helping people, whether they be actors or public speakers or politicians or members of royalty, and discovering all or, you know, or, or, or very ordinary people. You know, like a man who came to see me yesterday who is terrified about speaking the speech at his daughter's wedding. It's his, he has two daughters, and this is the first time you know, the eldest daughter is getting married. He's absolutely terrified. So dealing with him in a very ordinary context. And what I'm fascinated is that most of us do not sound our note. Most of us do not center our voices within the compass Of our range within the optimum pitch. I I mean, I use those terms because they're used by classical voice coaching. Uh, It's something that I refer to as being our signature note, because it seems to me that finding our optimum pitch, we also find another degree of importance or another degree of significance in our in our lives, because we feel centered, we feel powerful, we feel joyful, and we I believe that we move into a sense of personal sovereignty. You know, where we feel that we can actually use our power in the world. Um, so where that is located is actually within the heart chakra. Uh, so this is why I had to call the book The Heart's Note, because what we're doing as we sound this note is to really resonate the very core purpose of what our hearts are all about. That there's, there's a very ancient proverb which says that if words arise from the heart, they will enter the heart. If words arise from the tongue alone, they will not pass beyond the ears. And so it's about tuning us into our signature note. I mean, a lot of people don't. You know, a lot of people just sit in their heads because that's the way that we've been educated. You know, so, I mean, our voices go there. I mean, you know, in the United States of America, it's getting very shrill and very metallic and very nasal. Um, And, you know, all you have to do is switch on the TV. And, I mean, you hear everybody talking in this information speak voice, but which I'm going to cease in a moment because... Probably a lot of listeners are just sort of moving away from... (laughs) So I'm going to stop it and go into this area here. And of course, what we feel energetically is a very dramatic shift. But it's pretty obvious, it's palpable to to sense that what I've done is to move away from a very cerebral, um, slightly hectoring sound of pure intellect into something which rumbles away in one's body and produces a tremendous amount of emotional resonance. Hmm. So the book, The Heart's Note, is about this, but also all of the finer lines of importance and interpretation of what that initial premise is, that um, that we've spent the last 500 years really ossified within our bodies and just simply coming from the head as a result of the development of modern science and moving into the age of enlightenment, etc., etc., And And we've moved away from our bodies. We've moved away from what is most important. So the whole of my work is really an experiential to encourage people to move into making choices from their heart um, something I call heart dowsing so that each choice, whether it's shall I go into this gas station to fill the car up or shall i shall I buy these these tomatoes or these tomatoes um, shall I pay this bill now or shall I call this friend now or that all the choices that we make are directed through our heart so that literally we move into coherence we move into personal coherence we move into group coherence we move into societal coherence we move into cultural coherence and therefore we move into national or indeed global coherence so this fits in absolutely with the whole subject of heart Mm math, and um, indeed I've had very extensive conversations with some of the guys like Howard Martin, who mm-hmm. helped create math, about the nature of what I'm trying to achieve. So in simplicity, that's what it's all about. Of course, as soon as we begin to really interpret what that means, we begin to realize that we don't live in our hearts. So much of the book is a strategy about how to move into the council of the heart, and that the heart is, if you like, a, a great magician within a crystal cave waiting to enchant and bring forth great magic.
0: Well, one can certainly conjure up wonderful images through the voice. Tell me about the experience that you had um, at the Harmonic Convergence that uh, lay dormant for 20 years.
1: Well, that was extraordinary. Um, I was in 87, burgeoning as this successful voice coach, but at the same time as I was sharing just now, as soon as I started working on people's voices, I began to really trigger my own psyche um, in order to, to help the individual, often moving from gross disempowerment into something which was much more glorious. And so it got about through the community of the United Kingdom, the mind, body, spirit community, or something then that we called the New Age, that, um, that I was a psychic and an intuitive. And a friend invited me to read for his clients in a crystal store in Glastonbury in Somersetshire. And Glastonbury is a wonderful little town. It's actually the heart chakra of the world, which is denoted by this very large hill known as the Tor, T-O-R, Tor. And, of course, this, is the, um, this also has great history in terms of it being the center of the Isle of Avalon, and King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. So there was a great deal of mythology involved. Anyway, so there I was in this store reading for whoever wished to come forth for psychic reading, and was feeling really exhausted by not the dear people who were coming to me, but because of the energies that were around. And for those, for those people who aren't aware of what the significance of this time was, that this was a very remarkable portal that we all moved through which was signified by um, a series of grand trines that opened within the heavens. To put it in some sort of context, the Mayan people said that 144,000 rainbow light warriors were being awakened at that time to prepare, as light workership, to prepare the globe for the great shifting point that we moved through during December of last year, 2012. So there I was reading for these people and feeling this extraordinary wave and currency of energy moving through me. Um, And so during my lunch break, I thought I must go and regain energy on the tour, which I did, and to to practice the meditation processes that so many of my teachers had given me. And there I was, sitting on the tour, breathing deeply and about to chant, surrounded by many other people. And I heard in my consciousness these extraordinary harmonics, which surprised surprised me to such an extent that I opened my eyes and saw in front of me 12 very large orbs orbs of light, these plasmic forces that were of different colors. At first I thought, well, it must be the sun. But then I realized that they were all individualized and I heard within my consciousness, we are the angels of Atlantis and we're going to give you some teaching about sound healership, which will be a temple that you will eventually create called the alchemy of voice. And this is the fulfillment of a prophecy of when you lived in Atlantis and then subsequently in Egypt. Hmm. Um, so that's where it all really started. I mean, obviously, I was a, I was a voice coach as well as this, this sort of thing happening. And I was serving some very powerful people in the world um, who weren't necessarily aware of angels. And if I'd spoken about the angels that I was seeing, they probably wouldn't have used my expertise. <laughs> so I chose to remain discreet about it. Having said that, subsequently our world has moved through so many paradigm shifts that much of that that was unfamiliar to us then and would have been potentially rejected is now extremely familiar to us now. Uh, but as we go through these great paradigm shifts and live within this the center of a vortex of spiritual revolution, I was compelled five years ago to bring out the book, The Alchemy of Voice. Well, actually, it's a little bit longer now. I think it's, uh, I brought it out in 2005, so it's now seven, nearly eight years. And, um, and that's when people became very interested in the work, and I fully established the Temple of Sound Healing in, in London. And it has grown and grown and grown with the emergence of the angels' teachings. There are many books that are planned. I'm in the middle of this, my fourth book at the moment, which will be called Angels and the Keys to Paradise. So what's beautiful about this work vis-à-vis angelic sound healing is the fact that the angels have this immense compassion for the organic development of Homo sapiens, and therefore are only bringing the information forward, although it's very ancient information, when they feel that human mass is ready to receive it, which I think has a great beauty to it.
0: You do read about uh, ancient Atlantis and the fact that they did have temples of healing there that were based on vibration. Yes, so,
1: I write about this in the, in the book, The Angels of Atlantis, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so again, the, the alchemy of voice, Temple of Sound Healing, is nearly a recreation of something that we all did in Atlantis. And then subsequently in other great spiritual civilizations that existed around the planet. Because when Atlantis eventually met its cataclysm, the 12 communions or the 12 communities, these very large communities on Atlantis that were governed by the 12 angels of Atlantis and the 12 high priests, received information about moving to other areas of the world where they could colonize. Uh, One, of course, was to Egypt, Several went to Mesoamerica, the area that we now call Mesoamerica, which then, of course, looked completely different before the cataclysm, that is, or during the cataclysm, um, and um, set up sound healing temples in these very specific areas of the world. So, in fact, when one when one goes through some of the the great temples of Mesoamerica, you can see that they're arranged geometrically. With um, there was one that I visited not far from Machu Picchu, where there were these pillars erected in a circle and the pillars themselves were hewn out with this shape so that you could literally place your thorax, your chest, into this shape. And of course, I believe that we're much taller than what those peoples during that time stood as, you know, in terms of their height but if you sounded certain frequencies, the entire space became alive. So there is somehow great magic in sound formulated through the human voice, or indeed through musical instruments, in places like these ancient sound healing temples. So we use sound in very comprehensive ways to effect change within our bodies that today we call healing, that healing is a movement back to wholeness as well as creating transcendental corridors of light that open between our bodies and the celestial, that light informs and sound transforms.
2: And of course, we know
1: scientifically that light and sound interplay with one another, that the, the most powerful force that we seem to have at the moment that we know of is light, although there may be other energies beyond light, tachyonic energy, whatever. But when light downloads, it becomes color. When color downloads, it becomes sound. And when sound downloads, it becomes matter. So we're literally dealing with the building blocks of creation when we move into using sound and color and light.
0: Wow. That's a lovely insight. Um, Getting back to the temples of healing, do you think um, stone circles like Avebury and and Stonehenge were healing temples, or perhaps memories of healing temples?
1: I believe that great healing took place within the stone circles, yes. Um, and uh, Avery Hinge, I'm very closely related to, and spend a lot of time there and chant, and you know have envisioned what it must have been like, um, say 2,000, two and a half thousand years ago, when the stones were standing and indeed those stones have the memory of sonic resonance within them and when we stand next to them now and chant in certain ways the mysteries are revealed from these great crystal stones Mm. which were were brought to certain areas like Stonehenge or Abraham The mountains in Wales known as the Blue Stones or Mm -hmm. the Pracenta Mountains as it's called. So, uh, oh absolutely, absolutely. There's something very remarkable about sound that when human beings come together and they use sound for praise or petition, that something moves in the space. You know, the molecules literally separate. The molecules move and if we use specific intention, because I believe that sound crystallizes intention, so we can think something, and we know that thought is a living energy because it affects the field, the great field of consciousness, but when we sound it, it becomes amplified, it becomes crystallized, so it has a very profound effect on the energy within the and around us, and that there are certain sounds that we can use to invoke or evoke celestial dimensions of energy so for example the 12 angels of atlantis have given me very specific charts that i use to evoke their presence and then transmit it through speech into prayer or indeed into meditations that um, if i may say are um, lodged on a, a rather beautiful website, at least I think it's beautiful, I hope everybody else does, called the, the com, which is a temple that people can literally click onto and listen to these prayers and meditations and observe other aspects of the angels' lives, the way that they emerge at this time.
0: What is your understanding of these angels, and how do they relate to the, the archangels that we're more familiar with?
1: Well, of course, they are the archangels. And so there are four archangels that we specifically relate to. One is Michael, one is Gabriel, one is Uriel, and um, the other is Raphael. Uh, and these four are right at the very core of the communion of the Twelve Angels of Atlantis. So each each of the angels fulfill a status of our, of archangelic countenance. Why they come forward is because they've been with the consciousness of Homo sapiens for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Angels are immortal. their thoughts of God. I believe, I've always seen them as orbs, as we're now beginning to see in digital photography. And um, if anybody's interested in that, they're, they're unfamiliar, just by going on to the theangelsofatlantis.com or indeed thealchemyofvoice.com, there is a p- page that is dedicated to extraordinary photographs that people have sent me from all over the world of all manifestations. Um, so they are thoughts of God. They They are programmed with one particular aspect of consciousness, which is motivated by complete unconditional love. They love for the sake of love whereas human beings tend to love for the sake of being loved. Um, So there's a subtle difference. And that they are here to assist us in the journey that we have of bringing spirit into flesh. It's very, very simple. They're extraordinary guardians. Indeed, I believe that we each have a guardian angel. I don't see this as being male or female. I, I see guardian angels not with wings, but I see them as extraordinary columns of light that seem to move and shift with the countenance of the individual that they are guarding or guiding. Um, And then we move into um, other angels that are the emissaries of the natural world, the elemental kingdom. And then, of course, moving into these these very big creations of God known as archangels. Mm -hmm. So there are 12 very specific archangels that step forward, but one of the reasons why they step forward in the way that they do within the communion that I teach, which is the angels of Atlantis, is because they overshadowed the 12 communions in Atlantis, and each communion had a very specific purpose. The majority of the human beings who lived within each communion, indeed I'm told that, that each communion represented a monad, which is a soul group, Of approximately 144,000 people, 144,000 souls. Um, Most of the people who were in these communions knew that they were star beings, that they knew exactly where they were from, and that they were using planet Earth to um, explore the dimensions of what it is to live in a body, to have spirit within a body because of the weight, space, and time of planet Earth. But they were certainly living a 12 helix DNA through their 12 chakras, so they were slightly different to the way that we are here now because most of us are just living a seven chakra or some of us not even that. We're living just through three chakras. And mm-hmm. of course we, we, we all know that we're only living through 20 codons of DNA whereas our potential is 64. So they obviously were very remarkable people rather like the beings that James Cameron evokes in his movie Avatar.
0: Hmm. Uh, were they... In your understanding, uh, telepathic.
1: Well, if you have these abilities that I, do, or rather, this this genetic coding within, then you have extraordinary ability that moves you into transcendental intelligence, where psyche and telepathy and telekinesis is opened in a very full way, in the way that we see with some of our avatars or our aviduts today. You know, I worked, worked for many years with Zai Baba before he passed and um, was, you know, was was called to him 27 years ago and visited him and he gave me profound teaching. So, you know, often Baba would, would arrive when I most needed him, wherever I was in the world, he, I would be meditating and suddenly he would teleport in. I mean, you know, literally, I believe that the Atlantean peoples had the experience of being able to cross boundaries that were formulated through the dimensions that we perceive to exist. So they were very powerful, yeah, very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is the way that these 12 angels served these 12 communions and then grew with them. So, for example, one of the questions that I remember asking the angels many years ago was, can you tell me the name or the names, of the priests and priestesses of Atlantis. And I was told categorically, we will not tell you this. And it was the first time that I'd actually been told no. (laughs) (laughs) And then they went on to explain, well, the reason why we're saying this is because if we give you their names and you use their names, their names are sonic glyphs. You're evoking their presence. And what's happening at the moment is that the crystalline grid that was that had havoc created within it during the cataclysm, is being repaired by light workership on planet Earth and by other beings of light within the intergalactic council, because it would be foolish of us to believe that we're the only beings living within the solar system or indeed within the galaxy, within the cosmos. Um, the the angels go on to teach that there are are basically 24 major civilizations living within the cosmos, and we are one of them. So the the other beings live on a uh, a very different level of intelligence from from ours and often don't live in in, in physical bodies. Um, So having asked this question and heard this reply, the angels then went on to say, but we will tell you what they became. And so that's what I was referring to just now when I was talking about the colonization of different areas of the world at the, at the, at the cataclysm of um, of Atlantis. But then I cunningly said, well, you know, civilizations rise and fall, so we know that the Mayan peoples were, were a highly successful civilization, but then they suddenly disappeared, almost as though they walked into the fifth dimension the Egyptian civilization certainly rose and then fell, and indeed other civilizations have done this. If we look arguably at the origins of Western civilization, we can see that the Greek civilization rose and fell, and the Roman civilization rose and fell. And they said, well, that's exactly what we're talking about, because you can see that the great high priests and priestesses morphed into other personalities that were useful for them to communicate or teach some of the great wisdom teaching of Atlantis. And so we taught you how they've colonized different areas of the world. Well, look at Egypt, Egypt, for example. The civilization rose and fell. But the gods and goddesses of Greece and then Rome were the reevocation of these great high priests and priestesses. And, of course, there were 12, um, there were 12 gods and goddesses of Greece and of Rome.
2: Mm.
1: So I've written about this in the book. And then, of course, I said cunningly, well, yes, but what happened then? Because Greece and Rome rose and fell. What happened then? And the, the angel said, but you see, the, these archetypes then reemerge through the consciousness of a great Atlantean priest wizard whose name in your context was Carl Jung. Huh. And Carl Jung gave you the 12 archetypes that were used to help develop the individuation process that you've been moving through since the end of the 19th century. And now why we're here is because the individuation process is almost over because you, you have unplugged from patriarchy, you've unplugged from you are unplugging from blind faith and developing visionary faith and recognizing that there is a power within you as a fragment of God as a star seed, that is so remarkable that you're beginning to tune into your note, you're beginning to tune into your personal sovereignty. And so we give you these archetypes so that you can recognize that you are not alone, because what individuation has taken you into is is the belief that you can do it all by yourself. And most of you are palpably seeing that you can't do it by yourself, that actually you're an element or a fragment of God that is now moving into a collective experience where you move from the love of power into the power of love.
2: Mm. Beautiful.
1: So in in essence, that's where the thesis, that these beautiful angels, um, that's where the the, the essence of the thesis sits.
0: So... uh... Not everyone has the ability to connect or hear them directly. Uh, You've come up with um, numerous sets of oracle cards. Tell us how they work.
1: Uh, Well, I suppose three, maybe four years ago, I woke up at three o'clock one morning seeing a set of images in my head. And I immediately realized that the angels were speaking to me. And I heard, we wish you to make an oracle. And the reason why we wish you to make an oracle is because the mass of human consciousness on planet Earth is moving through an extraordinary trajectory where you're moving into the center of this vortex of spiritual um, spiritual alignment. And in ancient times on, on planet Earth, whenever human beings were moving through great paradigm shifts. They always went to the highest order. They would go to the priestess or the priests, and the priests and priestesses would bring forth oracle. In fact, there were certain people, such as at Delphi, mm-hmm. that were pronounced for their oracular readings. And so, in other words, we're seeing that a human being is a conduit between the earth existence of our peoples and the higher dimensions of the celestial ones. So they brought forth the first oracle, which has been translated into a number of languages. There, There, there is an app. It's won several awards. It's, in other words, it's captured the imaginations of many, many, many people. And for me, it's like a spade. It's like a wonderful tool because it digs into our lives and provides us with fundamental teachings about how we can embrace the eternal verities of love and compassion and empathy and patience and so forth to become much better people. So the oracle answers our life dilemmas. And then the second oracle came, came has just recently been published at the beginning of this year, 2013. Uh, and that came about in the summer of last year, where, again, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw a whole series of geometric forms and said, what is this? Because I realized again that the angels were speaking to me. And they said, we're giving you our hearts, and we're giving you our hearts in the form of these geometric shapes that are to be called sigils, that sigils are very ancient mystical symbols that hold within their countenance the essence of an individual so that we can go straight into the very soul frequency of the individual. And so I brought out the Angel Heart Sigils at the beginning of this year, which are, is an expansion of the work that the original Oracle uh, created. In a sense, the original oracle is to awaken left brain um, tool management of how to move forward and be highly successful with these new paradigms. Whereas the second oracle is for the right brain. So literally it's about moving into the communion of the heart that the angels like love to refer to themselves as being the heart angels. In fact, their Hebrew name is the Malakim and the Malakim were the great angels way back in Hebrew history, who overshadowed the twelve great Melchizedek, the Melchizedek meaning the priest-kings. So again, we have another resonance of twelve, and how these priest-kings were aware of the implicit function of the experiment of what planet Earth is all about. You see, planet Earth is a very remarkable planet. It's very unlike any of the other star systems, which, of course, we're beginning to recognize. That When when we look into the natural world of planet Earth, we realize that we're living on a paradise with such extraordinary diversity of animal, plant, and mineral kingdom. I mean, just absolutely extraordinary. And, of course, the density of our planet is that it's held in weight and space and time in a very unique way. So that's what the oracles are about. Of course, there are lots of other products. I mean, there are a number of books. And many sonic meditations, so there are CDs or indeed MP3 downloads that people can draw into their lives to help them become literally part of this angelic communion, because that's what the angels want. You see, the angels want to become part of our lives. So they give us divine sound, just as they're giving us divine images. So they literally filter into our lives. And therefore, we, we see that we are not alone, that we are all one, and that all we need to do is to ask one of the angels for help, and that they step forward immediately and provide us with immediate manifestation. I just think that is one of the most breathtaking, one of the most beautiful things that I've ever encountered in these 62 years of life.
0: just amazing. So at some level, you have to trust that the card you pick actually will have a specific meaning for you. How do you get to that point of trust? Simply well, because
1: you by? love, because belief, faith, and trust are the three concomitants of love. So, you know, when when we seek the oracle out, there's a very genuine question that's being asked. Mm-hmm. So, presumably, what that means is that the oracle is being used as a tool because somebody is not finding any other mechanism within 3D that's helping them. So. Whenever we're in a, in a state, we would go to a higher order, don't we? So the point about the cards, the oracle cards, is that they're, 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 they evidently have a resonance about them. They're extremely beautiful to look at. They're, there's a resonance of, pu- of beautiful purity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, what I've tried to do is to really listen to the voices, as it were, of the angels so that they use me as a conduit to speak English, but to write english in a way that conjures their vibration so there is this implicit sense of love and empathy and compassion and joy that emerges through them uh at least this is reported to me by people who use the oracle and then send me letters from all over the world or emails from all over the world about how their lives have been changed by the use of the oracle
0: i must say that when i i've been trying them out When I spread them out and then I run my hand over them, I definitely feel it's like a wind or or a vibration coming, Mm -hmm. you know, from a specific point.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? So, yeah, I concur. Whenever I read, there there feels as though there's a very strong current of, of energy in the room, which feels like a wind. Often the room drops in temperature.
0: You know, it's funny you say that because the wind that I was describing actually felt like a cold breeze, literally. Mm, mm, mm.
1: So the temperature drops or conversely, often people become very hot.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I was working with a client here in London uh, on Monday who'd flown in especially to see me from Hong Kong. So he, 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 he's quite a successful businessman. And so he um, he booked him for several hours to work with me. Um, because he, he 'd been exploring some rather major challenges in his life personally and professionally, and we were he 's very open to spirit so he 's a spiritual initiate himself and has been a yogi for many years and As we were working, it, something very extraordinary happened in the room we we both heard static in the room that was so loud, and he said, what on earth is that? And I said, oh, we have visitors here. And he said, what do you (laughs) mean? I said, well, they're, they're, you know, the angelic visitors are actually here. The orb wanderers, the shining ones are here. And he immediately became so hot that he, he felt that, you know, something quite injurious was actually taking place. But as immediately, I just simply put my hand on his heart chakra at the rear to calm him, and immediately the temperature dropped Mm -hmm. and he was able to go into um, a, a much deeper inquiry of why the challenges that he had been experiencing in business in asia had been taking place i had been triggering a lot of information within him about why he was manifesting challenges and this was all rooted into the second and third chakra so we were dealing with a lot of childhood memories But he kept on saying, oh, I I can't remember. I can't remember. And I said, well, we will uncover this. Mm -hmm. And if we don't uncover it, we will actually have angelic aid to do this. Because this is really significant. This is huge karma. And we will resolve this karma because I hear from the angels that it is quintessential at this time for the enormity of who you are for the consequence of how you function as a leading business person within Asia and indeed what you're going to go on to create. Because mm-hmm. there is no doubt this is a very extraordinary man who is going to be creating a whole series of spa spa retreats, et cetera. Well, um, and, then, you know, and there was immediate physical manifestation. I mean, the, 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 there's a wonderful photograph on the website of a client of mine, which was taken 20-odd years ago. So this is before digital photography. And she came to me, this darling woman came to me with cervical cancer. And, of course, she wanted to heal it. So she was very open to the nature of holism at that time, even though it was 20 years ago. And I kept saying to her, that you have this giant angel, and I believe that this angel is Raphael, who is telling me that you will heal this. The long and the short of this story is the fact that she did heal the cancer, And when she was in complete remission, of course, we had a little party to celebrate. And I said to her, you know, you're going to go on holiday. And she said, yes, I know. I I just booked it. And she was going, she was Irish and she was going home to Ireland. So I said, well, look, I'm being told that, you know, you will be driving along a country lane by yourself and you'll feel drawn off to the left. You have to go there. You're going to feel very anxious, but just be aware that this is going to happen and the anxiety will abate. So there she was driving down this road four days, five days later, and was drawn off by, this, um, by this, this sub-road, so to speak, to the left, just as I'd suggested, apparently. And when she got to the top of this road, there was an old Irish fort, and she was walking around the fort, feeling as though she knew it was, it was an old castle. She knew this. It was so familiar to her. And she felt very frightened. I heard a car coming up the hill and quickly ran to her own vehicle and locked the doors. Of course, 20 years ago, the troubles in Ireland were still very, very, very acute. However, she was just, you know, it was an irrational fear. When the car, the second car arrived, there were two dear people, two young people in the car who got out and thought it was very strange. There was a woman sitting in a car because it was a rather nice summer's day. Walked around. She felt very safe by this time. Asked the young man because evidently it was a a young couple who had just got married and they were on honeymoon, if he would take a photograph. So I have the photograph, and you can see she's standing against this old building, which is semi-derelict, and there's this huge shaft of light going through her, which was the the Archangel Raphael that uh, helped her healing. So, you know, I have countless stories like this one.
0: Mm, Well, I I wish we could hear more of them, Stuart, but unfortunately our time has come round. Um, I think that every listener would be fascinated to go to your website, which is thealchemyofvoice.com, or the other website, theangelsofatlantis.com, where you said that we can actually download MP3s and experience the kind of sound healing that you talk about. I would love to go to your temple sometime when we're in London.
1: Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely well I mean I'm being drawn more and more and more to the United States of America because the angels are creating work for me there, mm-hmm. and so I know that um, we've already seeded a, a major sonic vortex in New York City, and there will be a temple in New York City created over the next five years, so there's also that as well
0: fascinating well we've been speaking with Stuart Pierce, master of voice, sound healer, and angel medium, and author of the heart's note, the alchemy of voice, and the angel heart sigils. Stuart, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, really, from the bottom of my heart and the depth of my soul. It's been such joy speaking with you.
0: You'll find links to all of Stuart's books and cards on our website, ncreview.com. Well, I hope you'll join us next week when our guest will be Rasha, speaking about oneness. So we're going to leave you with our track of the week, It's called A Shinto Prayer from James Twyman's album, 12 Prayers.
3: far across the ocean I do be All these troubles surround us. The wind and the waves they rush around us against our will. I do hope That the wind will soon puff away All the clouds hanging over the mountain Time for peace is now approaching When the sun will rise
0: our show for today. Please join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.